You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. This is the Leaf Sky Podcast. Here's your host, Jim Taddy. Well, hi, everybody, and thank you, Mike Ross, for that very fine introduction. Welcome to Leaf Sky, episode number 30. Really just got one game to go over the 5-3 Maple Leafs win in Winnipeg on Thursday night. Before we get there, this weekend's UFC 261 is sure to be a can't-miss event. Every punch, kick, and knockout means so much more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering all players a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried yet, Fantasy MMA is easy to play. Just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap, pile up the points for things like advances, takedowns, and more. There's no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget about basketball and hockey where DraftKings has even more money up for grabs throughout the week. DraftKings is safe and secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, here is the call to action. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's the promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. So coming up on the broadcast, it's the Friday edition. Rob Leth, freelance reporter in Toronto, will stop by. We're going to play Yes Guy, No Guy with him. And then from the Maple Leaf Time Tunnel, Alan Bester, goaltender with the Leafs in the 80s, will be by to talk about his time with the Leafs and what he's doing now. This is a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed reconnecting with Alan. Now, let's go over the 5-3 win over the Winnipeg Jets. I'm going to throw three numbers at you. They're times. 51 seconds, 707, 133. So 51 seconds apart, the Leafs go one nothing to 2 nothing over Winnipeg. Looks like they're going to roll. Matthews, nice goal. Simmons, nice to see him back in the score sheet. And then it starts to unravel. Defensive gaffes, Shifley and Kopp, both on defensive errors. Shifley, after Muzzin makes an error in the corner, after Campbell fed him the puck, and that's a no-no. Anytime Campbell seems to touch the puck or, or get involved offensively or moving the puck, turns into a disaster. That's another example of it. The cop goal is the result of a Brody pass to Morgan Riley that Morgan Riley would certainly want to relive, and it ends up in the net. So those two goals are 7.07 apart, and there's a blown 2 nothing Leafs lead. However, 133 later, Spezza deflecting a Thornton point shot Gives the Leafs a 3-2 lead. So this is something we didn't see over the five-game skid was the Leafs responding. So they had the 2-0 lead. They gave it away. They responded. And really after that, they took care of business and won this game 5-3. Jack Campbell, pretty solid in goal, 34-37. He stopped, including all 14 in the third, including some game-saving saves in the third period. So that puts a lot of fears to rest. The Jack Campbell performance, the team performance, puts a lot of fears to rest because they seem to be more in unison or unified or at team chemistry where they were all playing for the same goal, not searching for the goal to break the game open, but playing within themselves, which is something we haven't said for a couple of weeks. And Nick Foligno, oh, that's a nice ad. No question about that. Analysis now from Rob Leth, the Toronto Freelance Reporter. (laughs) 
Okay, Rob. So here's where we get to with the Leafs. Um, you know, you get concerned. They don't win for a while. They were on a, what, a, a four-game skid, five-game skid. Uh, some of those are, are overtimes, but they're still in first place. And so they win last night against the Jets, and the first-place margin is six points. And sometimes, you know, I mean, everybody has a, a down spot, and maybe that was it again. Has your level of concern dissipated based on the win against Winnipeg Thursday night? Well, I think it has to because I think this was the most important win of the season for the Leafs. And it was because they got the job done when they needed to get the job done. And like you said, the lead is now back up to six. It could have been down to two with the second of the uh, the home and home on Saturday night in Toronto. And just the way that they responded after blowing the early 2 nothing lead, you thought maybe this was a team that was – lacking a, a lot of confidence after the last five games, but the way they responded, restored the lead, chased Connor Hellebuck, and the way that Jack Campbell played after some lackluster play over the last little stretch, uh, 34 saves, um, some big saves when they had the one goal lead. Um, I think confidence has to be restored, especially with the addition of Nick Felino, who especially played a big role in the third period, protecting that lead. Yeah, this is um, sort of a slay the dragon win because there's parts of this game that remind you of why you might have been concerned before. And certainly the blown 2-0 lead. I think uh, all year long we haven't talked much about the defense, but lately we have. And there were just two miscues there that, that wouldn't normally happen. And I don't know how to analyze them other than when Jack Campbell goes to play play the puck, I would say, no, guys, stay in the net because it always triggers something bad. And uh, Muzzin got caught. Uh, and on the other goal, Morgan Riley just, I don't know what happened there on the Brody pass. He just he just gaffed and it wound up in the net. But those are two quick goals that made you sort of doubt the least. But then, as you say, they answered back nicely and they went about their business, which is what they used to do when they were playing well. They just go about their business. And the top players are the top players, right? Especially in the game when, like I said, they needed it most. Austin Matthews with uh, you know a goal and two assists. Marner two goals and assists. Tavares another point, continuing his hot play. When those guys are going, you have to believe that the Leafs have a really good chance at uh, going on a good stretch here. Yeah, um, you like Felino's performance last night. I mean, you saw him get better by the shift, and and uh, by the end of the night, it looked like he'd been a Leaf for 10 years. I mean, he's he's a really nice fit, isn't he? Yeah, it was interesting because he hasn't had a practice with the team yet, and he didn't play all that much over the first two periods, but all of a sudden, you've got a one-goal lead in the third period, and Sheldon Keefe leans on him a lot more and he comes through. And I thought he made a couple of simple plays uh, that stood out to me when the Jets had the extra attacker. There was one play along the boards in the defensive zone where, you know, a lot of wingers would have tried to just chip it out and the defenseman could have, you know, kept it in and maintained the pressure. But instead of trying to chip it out, he went back, I believe it was to Justin Hall in the corner and they were able to set up and get the breakout. And then again, at the other end, he had a pressure from the defense on the empty net and started trying to make that play, he found Mitch Marner, who was all alone, had the easy tap it. Um, a little concerned about the blue line in that I, I'm not, really not a Rasmus Sandin fan. Are you? I am. Um, why are aren't you? I think he can be physically – I think he, he he's a target. I, I think that when the other team sees him, he's got great puck skill. Don't get me wrong. But I think that when the other team sees him start to use that, they start hitting him. And he's he's uh, he's not that big a guy. So he's going to have to learn, much like a Brian Rafalski did, he's going to have to learn to be very fast and get out of the way. Yeah, I think uh, another guy maybe he reminds me of, maybe not the same offensive uh, potential, but Thomas Coberlet. 
who was a great lead for many, many years. And he was a guy that, you know, avoided the big hits. He wasn't a big guy, but he was able to produce in the other end. And where I see Sandine standing out is uh, potentially on the power play. Um, I, I just, I love his quickness. I like his, his vision and his quick passes in the offensive zone. And I think if they use him correctly and don't overuse him in the defensive zone, then I think he can be a real asset for this team. Okay, so so now you said the, the key word there, don't overuse him. Um, for me, the five, six defensemen are guys that would give you 12 minutes a night, error-free hockey, and they have a specific role. I don't see it as an audition on this team, which is what he would be. So I, I don't think he's going to play much in the playoffs. And if he did, it would be because of, of injury. I don't want to be too harsh on him, but, but he's a developing story down the road, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think down the stretch here with Zach Bogosian out, I think it gives the Leafs an opportunity, especially with a bit of a cushion again uh, with the lead in the division to see what he can do. And um, if he ends up being a liability in the defensive zone, uh, yeah, you don't want him out there in a game seven situation when all the chips are on the line. But, you know, I think right now is a perfect time to get him in and see what he can do and uh, maybe prove some people wrong. I kind of like Brooks in the lineup, and I know he's there because of the Hyman injury, but I like him as a, as an extra forward. Uh, don't know exactly, you know, how that plays out when Riley Nash gets healthy and, and uh, Nason shows up and, and is added to the lineup. Uh, but I liked him and how he played on uh, Wednesday or thir- sorry Thursday night. And I also liked uh, Engvall on the wing with Kerfoot. Yeah, it's a lot of speed. And, you know, when you can get scoring chances from the third and fourth line, when you're seeing what the top guys can do, it's just an extra bonus. And he's showing that knack for being around the net and making plays, uh, maybe you know, uh, looking a little too much for the pass uh, on Thursday night, but he's an offensive threat and a guy who can uh, who can chip in. That Jack Campbell performance was, I'm not going to say much needed, but um, it was, uh, it, it silenced a lot of concerns, didn't it? I mean, he stopped all 14 in the third period, made, made a couple of really nice saves there, 37 shots, 34 saves. That's pretty good. Yeah, and especially after letting in, I think it was two of the first three, and after what he's gone through over the last few games, after, you know, setting that NHL record with 11 straight wins to start the year, uh, he's looked very average or less than average over the last three games. And to see him respond when it looked like the Leafs were going to implode yet again, I thought yeah. that was a, a huge moment for the Leafs this season and going forward. Well, I mean, you know, his play, uh, you know, the thing about having the right size of, of sample size is, you know, you have the right perspective. So he was great, 11 and 11 and 0, and then all of a sudden he stumbled. And and so to, to balance the concern, then you throw in last night's game, and all of a sudden you could look back on the stumbling as, well, that's just part of what happens after you go 11 and 0. And you could take that theory and apply it to the Leafs. And after you go 9, 0 and 1, and you stumble around for five games, then you get it back. So perspective, uh, you know, you can't sort of dwell on the negative, but you can't over pump the positive either. I, th- I think last night's game was really, a, I'm not going to say a turning point, but, but going down the right side of the road as opposed to being split at the fork. Well, you're saying you can't dwell on the negative or pump up the positive too much, but that's life as a leaf, right? Like when they oh, lose yeah. two games in a row, you know, that's the end of the season. You got to fire the coach, fire everybody. If you win two in a row, you start planning the parade route again. But, um, you know, Jack Campbell, um, he had that stretch of 11 and 0. But the concern is, can he do this over a long haul? And those 11 wins were spread out, right? It wasn't like 11 straight games. As the backup, he hasn't proven in the past that he can go on a long stretch and be that durable guy who can be that number one. So when he starts losing a few games, you're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, 
this is what he is. He's a backup guy and can't handle the load. So to come back uh, last night with that performance gives you more confidence that maybe he can be that guy and you don't need Freddie Anderson to rush back and be the savior. No, and I agree with what you're saying. Like if Campbell had to start every night in the playoffs, I'd be a little concerned. So what they need next is a good performance out of Riddick, who just really struggled in his last outing. That was awful. Yeah, um, you're trading for a guy who gives you depth and gives you some more confidence that if uh, Campbell and Freddie Anderson get hurt, that this is a guy who can step in. And you did not get that feeling at all in that last game in Vancouver. Uh, that, that was probably the worst goaltending performance of the season. And he knows it, and he's better than that. But, you know, that's what we're left with, you know, the taste in our mouth after watching that last performance. Um, you know, what have you done for me lately? Okay. Uh, are you ready for this? Is your seatbelt fastened? Your train in its upright position? Yes. And I, I also want to correct myself from earlier. I know the game on Saturday is in Winnipeg again. I, I'm still getting used to the schedule of playing multiple games in the same arena. Oh, a self, a self-correcting guest. This is so, yes. so rare. A self-correcting <laughs> guest. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Uh, Producer Mike, put in that dramatic music, please, because we're playing Yes Guy, No Guy. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, those listening on wireless or wired earbuds, time now for Yes Guy, No Guy. The least blue line is now a concern. Yes, guy. Whenever you have injuries and, uh, you know, you have to plug the holes, it's a concern as the playoffs get closer. Uh, I think if Bogosian comes back in time for the playoffs, it's not a concern. But right now, yes, guy. Well, you want to see Hutton play too, right? <laughs> to be honest, if oh, it stays wow. the way it is, I, I don't really, I don't think he's a difference maker. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Self-correcting and derogatory towards New Leafs. Okay. New category. Yes, guy, no guy, number two. Nick Foligno is the missing piece. The missing piece? Uh, I'll say yes, guy, because I think he's the guy that they needed to get at the trade deadline. Um, I think he's another Zach Hyman, which you can never have enough Zach Hymans in the lineup. And what he did last night, instilling confidence in the team and, you know, showing the players um, that management's going to do what they need to do to get over the hump and get the job done uh, I think it's a big boost for the team so yes guy yeah I'm going to go yes guy there too I mean I, I think sometimes when you acquire a player who's played a long time with another organization that that you worry about the fit uh, but he when he stepped on the ice you could see that he was clearly comfortable knew what to do and wasn't worried about how he was going to fit and he was going to find a way and that's reassuring isn't it and, and he loves being a Leaf, right? Like, he, yeah, he yeah. loves being in this situation. And, you know, obviously his dad played here, and he has his baseball hat. So uh, it's a good fit. I'm going to try and get Mike Foligno on the broadcast at some point and ask him to, in great detail, to, to describe what Joe Bowen used to call his helmet the salad bowl. That was quite <laughs> a helmet. <laughs> that's a vintage bucket for sure. <laughs> oh, that's something. All right. Yes, guy, no guy number three. Goaltending woes are over. Yes, guy. Um... For Jack Campbell, yes, guy. For Dave Riddick, who knows? Um, but Jack Campbell showed that, you know, he, after a, a tough stretch, he did what he needed to do last night, made some big saves when they had the one goal lead, and, you know, gave some much needed confidence to, to a Leaf team that was struggling mightily. Yeah, and you said, uh, you know, with the game on the line, um, that's how I analyze teams from here to the Stanley Cup uh, being awarded is. 
I don't care what happens early in the game. What do you do when the game's in the line? So what they did with the game on the line was they they, they shut the, the Jets down, did what they had to do, and won the game. That's all you need to know. So so the big passing mark there. Uh, the final Yes Guy, No Guy of this particular Leafs Guy podcast. Yes Guy, No Guy. The Leafs have been overanalyzed. They're still in first. They're okay. Yes Guy. That's just life as a Leaf. You're overanalyzed every single game, every single practice. And that just comes with the territory. And uh, like we've said, they got the job done. The, the lead is six in the North Division. And if they win again in Winnipeg on Saturday night, uh, they all but wrap up the North Division title. The self-correcting Rob Leff, thanks very much. And we go down the hall and step into the Leaf Sky Time Tunnel. Former Leafs goaltender, Alan Bester. Alan, uh, let's start at the beginning. I mean, you know, you're born and raised in Hamilton, and, and so was I. So, uh, I mean, I can appreciate that if, if you're a Hamilton guy and you play for Brantford, you get drafted by the Leafs, and you, and you make a pit stop in St. Catharines, that is the triangle. That had to be big for you. Oh, yeah, it was uh, it was wonderful having my family so close and uh, them being able to come see games and being able to get home and visit. And it, it was a lot better than being, you know, in Florida or L.A. or something like that. So it was really nice to have family so close and you know when I'm I'm the youngest of eight kids so we uh we were a close family uh to be drafted by the Leafs I mean that that is without a doubt a high watermark and the draft back then wasn't quite what it is now but still I mean that had to send goose uh, goosebumps up your back right yeah my my father and I went to Montreal for the draft uh and uh was lucky enough to be selected in the, in the third round by Toronto um it was, uh, it was an amazing event, uh, being in the old Montreal Forum and, and having your name called and going up. And uh, Pittsburgh stopped by, and, and as on my way to meet Toronto, Pittsburgh stopped by and said that they were going to take me in the next next pick if, if Toronto didn't take me. So it was, uh, it was very, um, very surreal for a, a young 18-year-old. So, I mean, as a kid, I mean, how did, how did you get into being a goalie? Uh, who did you watch? I mean, how did all this happen for you? Well, if you look over my shoulder, you can see who uh, I idolized <laughs> when, yeah. uh, when, I, when I was young. Um, you know, it was Rogie Vachon and then Ken Dryden and Tony Esposito and, and those, those goaltenders, Eddie Jockerman, Gilles Villemere. Uh, these are the guys that I idolized growing up. Um, I was always a goaltender. I, I just, I, maybe because my brothers were 10 to 20 years older than me, I got stuck in net. So they had a target to shoot at. Um, <laughs> so I, but then I just, I was always a goaltender when I played street hockey. Um, I used to get calls from all over the, all over the city to come play for their uh, ball hockey team. Cause they were, you know, Westdale was facing Parkdale in a big ball hockey tournament and they needed Bester in net. So um, I did a lot of traveling with my equipment to uh, different areas of Hamilton to play uh, play road hockey. I mean, goaltending is always an interesting art because, uh, you know, today it's more of a, a team thing. But I think in your day, it was more of an individual thing, wasn't it? Well, yeah, um, this didn't seem to have the systems they have nowadays. And there's a lot less shots than we used to have back when I played. Uh, when you're facing Edmonton and, and uh, New York Islanders back in the 80s, it was uh, – it was a, a shoot shoot fest. Yeah, shooting gallery. So I mean, you're you when you make the Leafs, the Leafs these aren't prime Leaf years, that's for sure, as we know them now. Uh, there's a lot of people in and out. You're you're playing with a lot of goalies. Take us through your your Leaf run. 
Well, um, I was playing junior and uh, went to the World Junior Championships uh, with Ken Raggett at the time. And um, I got back and my general manager, Dave Draper, told me I was going to Toronto and went to Toronto and played four games while I was up there. I think I played pretty well. Um, it was uh, it was uh, quite a, a eye-opening experience. And then I got sent back to junior for about a week. And then I got the call back. Mr. Ballard put the call in, said, uh, bring Bester back. Fans fans want him. We're, we're going nowhere this season. And the fans want Bester, so bring him back, which was uh, one of the reasons I really like Mr. Ballard. And uh, I finished the season, uh, played 25 games in a row, played 32 out of a possible 36, and got my baptism of fire. I was averaging about 38 shots against per game. Um, and really enjoyed that first year. It was, uh, was amazing to be ready to go every night, you know, and not have to worry about being pulled or not even have to worry about not playing the next game. If you had a bad night, you know, the next night was, uh, was a new challenge. And then uh, spent eight years in Toronto, up and down a little bit. Um, had Brophy, had uh, Mike Nikoluk, had uh, Claire Alexander. No, yeah, Claire Alexander, the minors. I had uh, oh, many coaches. I mean, it's almost too many to remember now. And uh, Maloney. Maloney. Um, yeah. As I said, Brof. Um, yeah, Brof. Am I thinking of? Did you get Carpenter? Brof was, was interesting. Carpenter, Doug Carpenter. Yeah, yeah, that was my favorite coach of all time. <laughs> How do you mean that? <laughs> uh, he uh, he liked to uh, criticize me in the papers a lot. So it was uh, it was tough playing for him because he instilled zero confidence in you. Um, you know, it just it was daily. I had to fend off the press because Carpenter was bad mouthing me in the in the press, and it was uh, it was not a fun year with him. Brof, it would be my all-time favorite just because, you know, interviewing him after the game, we used to have on the camera this, we used to call the sun gun, was a light because if you were off to the side, it was usually dark. So you had to put a light on the subject you were interviewing. And he would swear a blue streak until that light went on, and then he became a nice guy. I just always liked Brof. <laughs> I, I thought he was just a real guy, right? Oh, he was He was so passionate. I mean, I had him in the minors uh, with uh, St. Catharines, and uh, he was the reason I got back up in Toronto because I played well for him in St. Catharines. And uh, he just wanted effort every night. Um, if the results weren't there, they weren't, they weren't there. But he wanted you to give 100% every night. And uh, he uh, he let us know on many occasions after a game that he didn't think we gave 100%. And one night uh, we played a game and lost to um, our uh, rivals. And we got in the dressing room. He said, take your game jerseys off, put your practice jerseys on. We're going back on the ice. And we went back wow. out and practiced after a game at 11 o'clock at night. Wow. I mean, the man could yeah. implode, though, couldn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Many a time he came in and takes his suit jacket off and rips it to shreds and, <laughs> you know, punches walls and throws his watch. And, yeah, I, I imagine he had a whole closet full of pantsuits with no jackets. <laughs> A very likable, tough guy. <laughs> I mean, let's go back. To, I mean, you're you're playing in Brantford in in the OHL, and you get called up to the Leafs, and then you stick with the Leafs. That that's that's a really fast and odd transition for a goalie, isn't it? Yeah, it was it was surprising to me. You know, I was uh, I was just doing the best I could. You know, we weren't winning every night. We we got a share of wins, but uh, uh, it was uh, an interesting situation for a 19 year old to be able to. Uh, play for the Leafs every every game for the rest of the season. 
Now, you said you liked Mr. Ballard, and, and he was uh, a lightning rod. You either liked him or you didn't. So, I mean, can you tell us some, some Mr. Ballard stories that would ingratiate us to him? Well, there's two stories I have. First of all, I'm walking into the rink in Minnesota, and the training room is off to my left. And as I'm walking in, Mr. Ballard's in the training room being treated by uh, Guy Kinnear. And uh, Mr. Ballard yells out to me, Alan. And I said, yes, sir. He goes, uh, I can get you a ride at Greenwood tomorrow, uh, this next week if you want, teasing me about my size, that I'm a jock, size of a jockey. I said, Mr. Ballard, you better be nice to me. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you better be nice to me or I'll ruin your reputation and tell everyone you're a nice guy. <laughs> and he liked that. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, and the one thing Mr. Ballard did that really solidified my uh, ad admiration for him is um, when my brother Paul passed away, uh, we had the funeral in Hamilton and uh, him and King Clancy both attended the funeral. And uh, that was, um, it was very touching to me. I, it meant a lot to me. Yeah. Not something you'd ever forget. That's for sure. Uh, and he was the kind of guy that would like to challenge you. I mean, he would say stuff. Some people would take it the wrong way, but he just wanted to see what you were going to throw back at him. Didn't he? Oh yeah. He, he loved to uh, stir things up in the media. I mean, I, I think that was just a game to him. Uh, with us, he treated us unbelievably. I mean, one night I'm injured and going into the coach's room to watch the game between periods and, or during the period, and Mr. Ballard just happened to be in there. And I was like, oh, oh I'm Mr. Ballard. Sorry, I didn't think anybody be in here. He says, oh, no, come on, come sit in the bunker with me. I'm like, yeah, no, thanks. It's okay. He says, no, no, come sit in the bunker. I'm like, okay. So I got to sit in the bunker with him during the game, and I was – maliciously razzed for the next month by the players because I sat in the bunker with him watching a game there was being called King Clancy from for the next month <laughs> nobody would notice you in the bunker right <laughs> <laughs> exactly well and I kept trying to sit back against the back wall and he's no no Alan, come sit up here at the up the front edge and order some food and I'm like no sir I'm fine back here <laughs> Oh boy, that's wicked. I mean, there, there were some tough teams. I mean, that that is the, probably the underbelly of the Leafs franchise right there in that stretch of the games in, or years in the 80s. Tough. How was it to play on, on a team like that? Well, we had a, well, for me, it was, you know, just, it was tough because mentally I had to uh, be prepared every night to not make a mistake. You know, if I made a mistake, we were going to lose a game. Um, you know, I, you, you had to be on your game every night and uh it, it was it was tough mentally to take that type of pressure at the time um but we had some great players over the years i mean we had five we had uh, uh boria salmi we had billy derlego we had john anderson i mean we had great players we just didn't have the direction and maybe the right coaching or the right general manager to put the pieces together um and maybe instill some confidence in the guys instead of fear um but it, it for me, it all boiled down to management at the time. And, and Mr. Ballard was so loyal to the alumni and bringing in or keeping uh, ex-players as general managers and coaches and things like that. Um, I just think we needed to step outside the box and, and get um, some leadership that would instill some confidence in the players and get us playing together as a, as a cohesive unit rather than going our own way every night. I mean, you, you you identified some really good hockey players, and then as they left, you had people like uh, Lehman Wendell and, and Wendell Clark. Yeah, I mean, yep. and Wendell hit with a splash, didn't he? Yep, yep. Wendell was uh, 
he's one of my favorite players to have played with of all time. I mean, Wendell is a, a class act, um, worked hard on and off the ice, uh, great teammate, great leader. He gave 100% every night. He sacrificed his body just about every night. My, my opinion of the Leafs back then was, I think it's not based on anything that was going on with the team, but I think the fan base expected that some guy would be acquired and he would lead the Leafs back to glory. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, we did bring in some uh, some key players like Rob Ramage and, and Brad Marsh, guys that uh, some quality leaders on the team. Um, and it combined with Wendell and and Gary Lehman and Eddie Olchuk and Mark Osborne. I mean, we, we started to come together, especially one of my last years there. We were really starting to, to gel as a team and play better. Uh, so when you look back on it, uh, the Leaf years, because then you transitioned out Detroit, Dallas, and a bunch of other stops along the way. And as it ended, how did you feel? And now, years later, when you look back on it, how do you feel about it? Well, it, it got tough towards the end. You know, um, you know the, the criticism got got to me a little bit and it was I was quite glad to be finally traded um, and I figured going to Detroit that I was going to play um, didn't realize that uh, I was not uh, Brian Murray's style of goaltender um, he was kind of forced to get me because Mike Illich didn't want me to go to Minnesota or Chicago or um, St. Louis at the time in the Norris division because I played so well against Detroit over the years that he didn't want me to be traded to one of those teams. So they got me. Uh, I played three games for Detroit and that was about it. Uh, then went to the minors and ran into the best coach I've ever had, which is Barry Melrose. Um, he was phenomenal for my confidence and took a middle of the road team and took us right to the finals and won the Calder Cup championship with us. That's a great story there. I, I was just thinking, uh, your, you know, your games against Detroit, I remember it was several of them, 44-plus saves. I mean, you were the star of the game against Detroit a lot of times, weren't you? Um, I, I had my fair share of shots against Detroit at the time for that in those years and ended up with two shutouts against them. And, and it just I just seemed to, I don't know, maybe it was the fact that I was facing uh, Steve Eiserman and, and Fedorov and guys like that that uh, I just seemed to be on top of my game when I played Detroit. Uh, so now that when you look at the whole package, the whole career, what do you think of it? Well, it seems like a lifetime ago, that's for sure. Um, it's quite a while ago. Um, yeah, I had good times, had bad times, had some tough times. Um, I loved playing in Toronto. It was, uh, I don't think I would have gotten a shot anywhere else. Uh, if I had, you know, been drafted to Pittsburgh or another team, I may have spent more time in the minors to start with and not gotten the, um, the jump start to my career that I got in Toronto because of uh, the situation we were in. And, you know, it would have been nice to have stayed longer and, and had the team gel together some more and hopefully gone deeper in the playoffs. You know, you were talking about uh, battling through some situations. I'm always curious about this because I always believe that whatever happens to you, you need later on. So can you, can you think of something that you battled through as an NHL goalie that helped you later in life, the, the process of, of solving that issue? Well, you know, I, especially later on in my career, I was always known as stepping up to the occasion. And when, when, uh, when I first came to the Leafs and played as a, as a 19 year old, I played, I played well, I, I got to admit, I played well. And, and I think 
that challenge and being able to play to a high level when you're challenged. The same thing happened to me when I went to Dallas after after I'd been in the minors for five, six years, whatever. I go to Dallas. I won the we won the first three games I played because there was a challenge ahead of me that, you know, I hadn't been in the NHL for for quite some years. You know, I had success in the minors, but that doesn't re- correlate to success in the NHL. And and that challenge was in front of me, and 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 I was able to uh, excel. You know, even though there was quite a challenge in front of me. And I think that correlates to what I did after hockey when I started with the hotel industry. Um, I had no hotel experience. I had no sales experience. Um, when the DOS and I talked together, the director of sales and I talked about him hiring me, he said, I can teach you the hotel industry. I can teach you sales, but I can't teach personality. And you've got the personality and I can teach you the rest. And I took that challenge and was successful. Um, you know, made Top Gun the first year I was there, which is um, a level of excellence for salespeople. And everywhere I've gone since then, I've had success. So um, that drive, determination, that expectation of myself that I need to perform at a high level, and that expectation that I have um, has taken me far in, in hockey and in the hotel industry. Well, I mean, really, you know, the the the, the position of a goalie, uh, and, and drawing on what you've said about your career, I mean, that is the ultimate challenge to yourself. You've been out of the NHL for a while. You go to Dallas. You've got a a building full of people. Yeah, I mean, you're responsible to all your teammates, and and somehow you have to screen all of that out and focus and and be in the moment and be very sharp so that you can you know adjust to what's going on in front of you. That is that is an ultimate skill in my books. Fear is a great motivator. <laughs> the fear of failing, <laughs> you know, the fear of embarrassing yourself out there, you know, it really motivates you to, to, to focus. <laughs> no doubt. But I mean, that's almost an out of body thing because you have to manage your performance and, and you know how you play. So, so if you make a save and you're not happy with how you made it, you've got to like be above your own body and say, don't do that again and control your movements. Right. I'm happy with any save. <laughs> 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 well, you know what they say when they score a lot. We couldn't hit them. <laughs> well, no, I know, what, I know what you're saying. You know, um, you yeah. you um, you analyze your your play during the game and and try and tweak different things and do things different. Especially if you got scored upon, you 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 quickly um, look at what you did wrong and then move forward and try and forget that and just move forward. But that's all at lightning speed. So I'm just trying to, to jump from uh, that ability to do that at, at, in the best league in the world to then another challenge where, you know, you're, you're sort of one-on-one. You're in a sales thing, right? And you're, you're doing a presentation. And so maybe it's not coming out the way you want. You still have to manage your performance, don't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you have to, you have to um, really qualify your, your, your customer. You know, you really have to try and dig down and find out what's important to them. And then once you find that out, then you can present how your property or how your um, hotel will meet those needs. And, you know, you'll learn a lot of um, how to read people, how to um, listen, you know, you really need to listen and, and ask the questions. 
I, I think that's what you said there is, is excellent because I think a lot of people look at these challenges as I'm going to do this. Well, well, maybe you are, but you have to know what works. You have to play to your audience. And in this case, it's uh, somebody you're trying to sell. So you have to consider them first and then apply what you have around yeah. what they need, right? A lot, of, a lot of times you have a pre-existing notion of what's important to them. Yeah. But when you actually ask the questions, you find out, you know, it's not what you thought it was. It's completely different. And you have to be able to pivot and, and think quickly on your feet and be able to show you how your property meets their needs. Uh, Alan, on the way out, let me ask you this. Do you play any hockey anymore and uh, do you play forward? No, I don't play any hockey anymore. Um, I played in a few alumni games. I played uh, against the Islanders back in right after my retirement, I played in the LA All-Star game. I played in the Toronto All-Star game. I played in a couple uh, alumni games at the, for the Solar Bears. But the problem is um, I've had pulmonary embolisms twice. I've had blood clots in my lungs on two separate occasions. And I need to be on blood thinners the rest of my life. And the risk factor of being run into and my liver, bruising my liver and bleeding to death is there. So my wife has... Yeah. Uh, politely requested that I no longer play. I like how you phrased that. Politely requested. <laughs> it's a bit of an image there. <laughs> I think I was told. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I knew that. <laughs> Several times, no doubt. Yes. <laughs> Alan, thanks very much. Really appreciate this. Absolute fun. And good to see you, sir. Last minute of play in this podcast. All right. Thank you, Mike Ross. It's that time of the podcast. We got to get out of here. Lickety split time now for Yes Guy, No Guy. Thanks for the music producer, Mike. Nick Foligno, good fit. Oh, Yes Guy. Does this guy know what to do? Oh, Yes Guy. Austin Matthews, scoring, fun to watch. Yes Guy. Mitch Marner, scoring, fun to watch. Yes Guy. And the Leafs with a six-point lead atop the division. That's an emphatic yes guy. That's a yes guy, yes guy, yes guy, yes guy. Because even though they stumbled around, nobody closed the gap. So we end on a firm yes guy. Hope you enjoyed episode 30. Hope you come back for episode 31 on Tuesday.